2 Kings, the 13th chapter. 2 Kings, the 13th chapter. And while you're turning there, let me say again what a, what a distinct privilege and honor it is to be here with you, celebrating what the Lord has done in all of our lives. And we are, are thankful again, as Brother Justin Harrison has uh, led us in worship and in song, that indeed his mercies are more. Praise God. Praise God. We are all here at the result of God's goodness, his graciousness, his mercies in our life. After 54 years, we can all testify and say he's been faithful. Praise God. Anybody say that today? He's been faithful. Praise God. Through every difficult moment, through every trying time, God has been faithful. And so I greet you. I honor you today. Appreciate all the ministry of the church. Brother Wells did a tremendous job this morning. The adult Bible class and Brother Kirkland, Brother Butler, Brother Justin Harrelson, Brother Nate Harrelson. I uh, you know, have the opportunity to, via technology to worship with you on many occasions. And all of these great men do such a wonderful job. And then Brother Patterson, we give him honor again. as our founding pastor of this congregation and all the many years of sacrifice and his own faithfulness, both he and his his beloved wife, their faithfulness in, in loving us and in praying for all of us and uh, putting up with all of us. Can you say amen? He's got sometimes you got to pray for us and sometimes you has got to endure us. And so here we are and they did it both. And so we honor them. And then, of course, our pastor and his wife, Brother and Sister Harrelson, we love them. I love them with all my heart. And again, just the greatest friend I have. So thankful for him and his wife. I do have to side with Asher. It's Grandma's house. And uh, somebody's got to mow the grass, so we let you hang around. But don't you, don't you forget whose house it is. And so I honor you, Sister Harrelson. And uh, I watched you last time and this time. You do an amazing job of babysitting and worshiping and babysitting and praying and babysitting and ministering and just it's uh you, you can see that she loves both the lord and those grandbabies and so what a great thing that is and then again brother harrelson i honor you today your pastor is so um uh, special not just here in dothan not to us in danville but to our movement as a whole uh no greater preacher or Bible teacher than the man that stands here every single week preaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. And so if you're a guest or a visitor, the greatest preaching that ever happens in this pulpit is when that man stands here. So I want to encourage and invite you to come back and uh, to allow the Lord uh, to bless you. Just this week, I received a text from someone. They knew I was coming. And uh, they said, Brother Harrelson, his ministry has changed my life. He's impacted our church. We'll never, ever be the same. And uh, I don't know that you always maybe understand and appreciate uh, how God uses him. I don't, I, I don't think he always knows and appreciates how God uses him. But we're blessed of you and because of you, brother. So let's give the Lord a, another thanksgiving for a pastor today. Come on, would you really thank the Lord for his faithfulness, his love for God's word, his love for all of you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Second Kings, the 13th chapter and again I bring you greetings from my wife Jessica and my son Noah and uh, they love this church and the Harrelson family as well and it's just good uh, to be here I haven't come this weekend with any intention of impressing you I couldn't if I tried uh, I, I don't have uh, three or four great messages laid back that I just pull out on whim uh, I have come uh, really desiring that God would, would speak to us and that God would help us. And so I pray that the Lord would give us ears to hear beyond the frailty of my speech 
and uh, there's something supernatural that happens when the word of the Lord goes forth. And God has the ability to take one man's voice as he preaches the scripture and as it makes its way across a congregation, 130 or 40, however many is here today, he's able to speak and to meet each and every one of us at the point of our need. Praise God. I'll never forget preaching one time and a lady came up to me afterwards and thanked me for the message. And uh, it was one of those nights when I really felt very inadequate, but she began to thank me. And she said, especially that part, and she just kind of began to go into this part. And uh, uh, it dawned on me that I had never said that. I hadn't said anything that even resembled that. And uh, at the moment that I was about to, you know, correct her, say, you was listening to the transistor radio in your ear or something, I don't know where you got that, I realized that God has the ability... Uh, to allow what I say to sound a whole lot like wah, 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 and uh, to allow his spirit and his voice to echo firmly uh, into our ears. And so today, I, it doesn't bother me uh, if you don't hear me today, but I want us to hear from the Lord, and I trust that God indeed will speak to us. And so in Second Kings, the 13th chapter, the 22nd verse today, the scripture says this, but Hazel, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoaz. And the Lord was gracious unto them and had compassion on them and had respect unto them because his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God keeps his promises. Do you know that today? God's word is true. And he would not destroy them, neither cast he them from his presence as yet. So Hazel, king of Syria, died, and Benadad, his son, reigned in his stead. And Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, took again out of the hand of Benadad, the son of Hazel, the cities, which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoaz, his father, by war. Three times did Joash beat him and recovered the cities of Israel. And it's this last statement of the 25th verse of the uh, 13th chapter of the book of 2 Kings that I want to read again in your hearing this morning. Three times did Joash beat him and recovered the cities of Israel. And we're going to pray one more time and ask the Lord to help us in the next few moments. Brother Wells, I'm going to look at my watch. I'm going to take note of the time. And then I'm going to turn it over and not look at it again. And uh, ask the Lord just to help us and speak to us for a few moments. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we love you today. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your mercy, your faithfulness to us, God. We ask, Lord, that you would indeed help us in the next few moments, God. Anoint us today, God. Both the speaker and the hearer, God. Let us work together today as we explore your word. Give us ears to hear, Lord, indeed what your spirit would say to us. And we will not fail to thank you and praise you throughout eternity oh God for you alone are worthy in Jesus name we pray let the whole church say amen turn somebody beside you and tell them you look nice today I'm glad you came to church you may be seated in the house of the Lord I draw your attention this morning to the idea and the office found in scripture that of the prophet a prophet of God, not just a preacher. In the Old Testament, very much even different from the Old Testament priest or even a high priest. Prophets of God. This is an idea and even an office that is somewhat lost in today's culture. It has uh, 
uh, morph into something I, I, I'm afraid that is just a very uh, frail representation of what God originally intended it for it to be. Prophets, by modern definition, uh, again, have, have changed and altered themselves. Uh, sometimes we use words like uh, uh, faith preachers, and, and, and that is kind of a, uh, 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 another idea or know the concept of how and who a prophet is someone maybe it could be said is someone operates in the gifts or someone that that operates in the spirit that they are a prophet of God we, we use terms like uh, harvesters or or gentlemen that that claim that to decree and declare is the avenue by which God moves these prophets seemingly always speaking in large and vague generalities, uh, never fully kind of zeroing in on what truly needs to be said, always kind of just going over the upper crust in, in, in some kind of fashion that they can never really be pinned down and they can never ever truly be held accountable to. But today I, I want to endeavor to talk to you about an entirely different concept, uh, true prophets of God, men in the scripture that were indeed the oracles of God when they spoke, uh, the, the voice of God echoed and reverberated from their being. These men, uh, they stood in the gap for their families. They stood in the gap many times uh, for entire nations and God moved at their word. Uh, they did this many times at their own peril. They were not always appreciated. They were not always celebrated. Their words, again, did not always tickle the, the ears of the hearers. They were not always pleasant to receive uh, within their spirit. Many times these prophets of God, uh, they spoke words of judgment. They almost always called somebody uh, to a place of repentance, of personal responsibility, of turning their hearts, turning their minds, turning their spirits uh, back to the Lord their God. They were unique men of God, anointed of God. Uh, at their word, they stopped armies. They brought rain. They challenged kings. Uh, they looked into the days and the hours that come and sometimes uh, God gave them the insight to peer into the far off future even into moments of time uh, thousands of years in the future that have not yet come to pass they interpreted dreams uh, they spoke of a coming Messiah and Savior they prayed for the sick they raised the dead they were humble men they many times uh, for the most part they were obscure men but each and every one of them they were hand picked of God some of them were used repeatedly through the scripture for the glory of God and many of them though were regulated to just small snapshots uh, uh, they were men that m were matched for their times Peter described them as this in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Uh, they were holy men of God. They were committed to God. Uh, they, they were washed in His Spirit and by His Word. Uh, they were submitted to God's authority. Uh, they had no personal agenda. They were not building a name for themselves. They were not concerned for their kingdom, but only the kingdom of God. Uh, they had the stark desire uh, to simply to say what thus saith the Lord. There are dozens of them that are found in Scripture, too many for us to mention today. But men like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, you're hard-pressed to find converts of this man by the name of Jeremiah, yet he was faithful to what God called him to do. 
the, the other prophets like Isaiah, again, that step out of time and space uh, and, and just supernaturally begin to operate in a dimension that is, is so special and so powerful in the eyes of God. In Isaiah 6 and 1, the scripture says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord setting upon the throne. In the midst of political and economic and sociological upheaval, we, we witness this even in our modern culture when someone suddenly dies, when, when a world leader is assassinated or falls sick and we have seen this in the last few weeks and months uh, in the nation of Haiti. The chaos and the confusion that immediately erupts. There's always someone that, that is fighting for power and fighting for position. And here Isaiah finds himself in a very perilous uh, and difficult moment. And he said, yet in the midst of all the confusion of my life, uh, I saw the Lord still high and exalted. Uh, God was still where he always has been. Uh, can I tell you that in the midst of all of our problems, all of our struggles, uh, in the midst of a national upheaval, uh, in the midst of so many problems in our society. God is still where he always has been. He is still, again, great and mighty and powerful. Our hope today is in the Lord today. It's not in the White House. It's not in the State House. It's not in the Courthouse. It's here in the house of the Lord where his spirit reigns, where he indeed is King of kings and Lord of lords. God would move upon Isaiah to prophesy such life-altering, eternal, destination-altering statements as this. In Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Again, he would write in Isaiah 53, peering beyond a manger to the final moments of, upon the cross, saying, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs uh, and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Some 700 years before Christ would hang upon the cross, Isaiah, under the unction, the inspiration of the Spirit of God, would say, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The cha he didn't say there. He said our understanding. Uh, the work of the cross would not only flow forward, but it would flow in reverse, uh, and it would cover a multitude of sins. Uh, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, uh, and with his stripes uh, we are healed. Uh, he spoke it, and it happened uh, just as God said. Joe stepped into the scene and said in Joe 2 and 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, this is that. 2,000 years later, we need, still need to be able to say that this uh, is that. Uh, it's not like that. It's not a branch of that. It's not a denomination of that. Uh, it's not a derivative of that, but this is still that. Uh, the Holy Ghost that Mary, the mother of Jesus, had. Uh, the Holy Ghost that Peter had. Uh, the Spirit of God that Joel prophesied. This is still that. You move through the Old Testament, through the major prophets to the minor prophets. They were minor not because of their physical stature or their importance of Scripture, simply referencing the, the length of the things that we, they said and did. We studied one of these minor prophets in our adult Bible class this morning. 
I love Amos. I, I, I love the testimony of this man. Uh, he was one of these individuals that did not always speak words uh, that sounded pleasant in the ears of the hearers. Uh, nevertheless, this was his testimony when Amaziah, the priest, came to him and tried to encourage him. We, we really don't like your kind of preaching around here. Why don't you go down a little further south? Why don't you, why don't you go down to those people? They, they like that there. Uh, but hear what Amos said. He said this, I was no prophet. Neither was I a prophet's son. Amos and I have the same testimony. He said, I wasn't a preacher. My daddy wasn't a preacher. My granddaddy wasn't a preacher. He had no spiritual pedigree. He was not born with a proverbial silver spoon in his mouth. He said, I was a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. I was just an old farmer. I was just doing my business. I was just doing what I knew to do. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. What a powerful, powerful testimony. I, I was just doing what I could and the Lord took me. I, I was just doing what I knew to do and the Lord took me. I, may it be said of each and every one of us today that the Lord has taken us, I, that he stepped into our lives. I, he stepped into our sinfulness. I, he stepped into our mistakes and he took us up out of that. I, after I followed the flock, the Lord said unto me, go prophesy unto the people. And indeed he did. Obadiah, Zechariah, Malachi, so many more. And note with me today that these prophets were men that had cultivated a relationship with God. We see them when God puts the spotlight on them and when they step in the scene. But you just got to know that there is a backstory to each and every one of these individuals. Uh, before they had a congregation, before they had an audience with a natural king, uh, there had to have been some moments that they spent with the king of kings uh, when God was taking some things out of them that ought not be and putting some things into them that needed to be. Uh, God working on their life. They had a relationship with God. These Old Testament prophets, they heard the voice of God because they recognized God's voice. They recognized God's voice because they were familiar with His voice. They were familiar with His voice because they had spent time with God. Let it be said of us today that we recognize his voice. Uh, we're familiar with his voice. Uh, let it be said of us that we've spent enough time with God uh, that even in a service like we've experienced today, in the middle of the singing, uh, when he shows up, we're ready to respond. Uh, we're ready to touch him. Uh, I'm here to tell you, even while I preach today, God could heal you. God could deliver you. God could fill you. Uh, he's able to move. He's able to work. Uh, this is his house. This is his service. Uh, we're here to glorify him, magnify him, exalt him. Uh, it's all about him. Uh, we're not Jesus only. We're Jesus everything. He means everything to me. Hallelujah. These prophets of God, they saw God, not just the light of the dilemmas and the problems they face. They saw him as the all-sufficient one. They saw him as sovereign. They saw him as righteous. They saw him as holy. They saw him as worthy, not just of their devotions, but worthy of the breath that they breathed. So unusual, these God-ordained and powerful men were, that some even confused Jesus with being a prophet of old. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, he came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? 
the son of man am. And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some Elias and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. The, the earthly ministry of Christ was so unique and so significant and so powerful. And it bore the hallmarks of these ancient prophets of old. Now this tells us again that he was someone operating in, in the pattern that God had designed in the Old Testament. But it also tells us that, that they were living their lives and somehow in the pattern uh, of how God would choose to manifest himself in flesh. Uh, God moved and worked with them. Yet as notable as all these Old Testament prophets are, few are viv as vividly portrayed before us as two men by the name of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was the Tishbite. Scripture is very silent about his past. Uh, he, like so many other of these Old Testament prophets, seemingly step out of time and space uh, at precisely God's appointed time. Uh, he rebuked the godless and attempted to reawaken and restore a nation. Uh, he at times was fearless, and yet other times uh, he felt greatly overwhelmed. He was bold. He was an intercessor. Uh, and yet he was also a man prone to discouragement. Uh, he was not above problems. He was not above concerns. Uh, he, he, he walked that, that fine line of trusting God, believing God, uh, and yet dealing with his own physical limitations as we always do. Uh, yet the touch of God was with him. He was a worker of miracles. Uh, we mark his life as instances as before Ahab at Zarephath uh, on Carmel and then finally in the wilderness. His entrance uh, into time and space is easily forgotten, but not his exit. Uh, called up by a chariot of fire and horse horses into the sky. 2 Kings 2 and 11 says this, and it came to pass as they still went on and taught, behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them asunder and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. That's quite an exit. We, as we read the text today, obviously in the life of Elijah there is an abruptness to it all. Shock, awe, so many questions would have filled my mind if I'd been there. How is this happening? Why is this happening? What is God trying to do here? And we would not be alone in trying to figure it all out. There indeed was one individual that witnessed this very moment of his departure. In 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 12, the Bible says, And Elisha saw it, and he cried. Hear what he cried. My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took of his own clothes and he rent them in two pieces. The rending of one's garment was always a, uh, a, an outward expression of, uh, of a broken heart, of, of grief, of sorrow, uh, uh, of the emptying of oneself. Their clothes in the scripture were very indicative of who they were at a distance. Uh, for the most part, you could tell who someone was. There was the, the garment of a king, a garment of a pauper, the garment of a harlot, the garment of a soldier, the, the garment of a prophet, the garment of praise. And yet, when you rent your garment, you are stripping yourself uh, of everything that had formerly identified you and trying again somehow to find a purpose uh, and a reason for your life. And here Elisha is uh, stripping himself of all of life's accolades and all the pats on the back and all the things that, that, that he had worked for. And the scripture says uh, that he took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And is here again, of course, that he smites the waters crying out, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And it owed the miracles that Elisha would now experience as a follower of the man of God. Yet it's his beginning today that I want us to think about it again. 
who asked for a double portion. Again, a, a, a man who many say that there were twice as many miracles wrought in his own life, even those following his own death, uh, than the prophet Elijah. And yet it's his beginning that I want us to examine. Remember with me that Elijah has stood at one of the most powerful moments of his earthly ministry. An entire nation has turned their heart and their face back to God, saying, The Lord, He is God. Uh, and immediately after that, we see the same prophet who had stood in this triumphant moment uh, of God showing himself and of God restoring a nation. And then we see him sitting under a juniper tree desiring that he would die. He is fed miraculously of the Lord. He is taken on a trip going in the strength of the bread that he ate for some 40 days and is there that God begins to speak to him. Not, not just in the shaking of the earth, not in great fire, but even in that still small voice. And God reminds him that there are 7,000 that have not bowed their knee. There are 7,000 that have not given up. Can I tell you that in this life, sometimes you get very lonely. Uh, and even as a congregation, I don't know if you know this, uh, but across this nation, not every church is like this church in Dothan. Uh, not every place you feel the Spirit of God and the anointing of God. Not every place uh, do holy men of God stand and faithfully declare His truth uh, without fear or favor. You are blessed to be a part of this church. Uh, every day you need to get up and thank God for the last 54 years. Uh, and if the Lord should tarry, pray for another 50 or uh, 54 of faithfulness and truth being preached and proclaimed hallelujah and yet as discouraged as I get brother Harrelson at times with this movement even with the organization that we're a part of it's men like you and it's churches like this that remind us that all across this land there are good men and faithful women that are loving God and serving God uh, that want to be right, that want to live holy, that want to worship, uh, that are not ashamed of the gospel, uh, that will not quit, that will not sit, uh, but will boldly proclaim uh, there is a greater way, there is a higher way. Uh, let all the sinners come. Uh, let the hypocrites come. Let the addicted come. Uh, let the gender confused come. Uh, let us boldly declare there is a God uh, that will cleanse you. There is a God that will save you. Uh, there is a God that will heal you. There is no life so damaged. Uh, there is no sickness so bad uh, that in a moment my God is able to make the difference. And after this revelation of understanding of exactly how great God is and how numerous his people are, the scripture says that he begins to make his way he departed thence in 1 Kings 19 and 19. And he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12. Most commentaries come to the conclusion that Elisha was probably the oldest son of his family. Meaning probably that he would be receive the lion's share of the inheritance and the authority and the patriarchal blessing that would be his. The fact that he's playing with 12 yoke of oxen then leads them to believe that he is probably from a very wealthy family, a, a very substantial family. To have 12 yoke of oxen, he is turning some serious ground. This is not just some little backyard garden space that he's dealing with, but this is probably a, a massive and a very uh, financially strong agricultural community that he is part of. And yet as Elijah passed by him, he cast his mantle upon Elisha. And he leaves his oxen, he runs after Elijah and says, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took the yoke of oxen, slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. 
These are familiar things. Everything I'm saying today is very familiar to you. And yet I remind you and I propose to you that this indeed was the defining moment of Elisha's life. Yes, he would, he would receive that mantle that fell from Elijah. Yes, he would experience the, the supernatural flow and anointing of God. Yes, he would speak as God's oracle. And yet I believe that it is this moment that becomes the very defining moment of his life. From the onset, uh, he purposed that he was going to give God everything that he had. Uh, nothing would be held back. Can I remind you today that God is still looking for the same from you and I. He doesn't want some of your praise. He doesn't want some of your worship. Uh, he doesn't want a little of your faithfulness. He doesn't doesn't want us to be here when it's convenient to always looking for excuse not to attend the house of the Lord. No, he wants everything I got. Let me tell you, everything I got, he's given me. The breath that I breathe, he woke me up this morning. The clothes on my back, the vehicle I drive, it's all the gift of God. God bless you for your education. God commend you for your hard work. But everything you got it is the blessing of God. That's the reason why he can always take an offering from amongst his people because he has blessed us. He has provided for us. He has made a way for us. And so God is still looking for men and women that will give him our all. That will give him our all. Pressing beyond and, and across the distractions of this life. Uh, shutting off the cacophony of voices that endeavor to distract us. Uh, and re just doing everything within our bodily uh, ability to zero in on what thus saith the Lord. Uh, what does God desire of my life? Uh, it doesn't matter how many thumbs up you have. doesn't matter how many likes you have. Uh, if you have failed him, you've lost it all. Uh, I've got to please him today. This young man who would become this powerful prophet of God, he would follow after the Lord. He would learn of the Lord. He would become not a carbon copy of Elijah, but he would become the man that God desired him to be. That's what God wants from you. He, he doesn't need another Jeff Arnold. He doesn't need another Anthony Mangan. This world doesn't even need a, another Philip Harrelson. This world needs you to be you. He doesn't need you to be something you're not. He simply needs you to be you. And whatever that is, whatever God has placed in your hands, you need to do it with all of your might. Uh, whether you have a microphone or in stage or whether you got a broom and a mop bucket, uh, do it with all of your might. Uh, whether anyone ever sees you operate or whether no one knows your name, uh, do it as unto the Lord. Uh, God, help us to be faithful prayers, uh, faithful givers, uh, faithful workers. Uh, put a paintbrush in my hand. Uh, let me do something for the kingdom of God. Now, quickly, I hope I'm not just jumbling and fumbling before you today. I, I ask that you would go quickly in your minds with me to the preceding verses before our text. We are now at the end of the earthly ministry of Elisha. The scripture says in 2 Kings 13 and verse 14, And now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face. Elisha's ministry was so significant, so important, so trusted that the king would come down. 
he gets word from a servant that the, the prophet, the old man of God, that he's sick. We don't know if he's going to make it. And he makes his way out of his, his kingly throne room and he comes into maybe the, 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 the small and seemingly insignificant chambers of the prophet. And it's there that he bows down before him and tears begin to fall down from his face and he weeps over the prophet and he's trying to fathom what it's going to be like to navigate through this world and how are we going to do it and how is God going to speak to us and how are we going to know what we're supposed to do and as he's doing this the Bible says that he said oh my father my father the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof I find this very interesting that this king feels the unction to repeat what Elisha had said when Elijah was raptured up into the heavens Notice with me, the Bible says that he said it. He didn't see it. He didn't experience it. He said it. He was repeating it. He was mimicking it. He was trying to pretend that he was in a place and a time having an experience that he had not had. When Elisha was there, the Bible said that he cried out unto the Lord. My father, my father. And yet here the king is uh, simply saying it. Uh, somehow there's a truth I believe to be uncovered in this scripture. Uh, it's not enough to walk with men that walk with God. you got to walk with God yourself. Uh, you can't just mimic our praise. Uh, it's not good enough to clap when everyone's clapping. Uh, i got to know in whom I have believed. Uh, i got to know in who I am worshiping. Uh, i got to know in whom I am trusting. You can't make it on Brother Patterson's faithfulness. You can't make it on Pastor Harrelson's faithfulness. You've got to be faithful for yourself. I appreciate the word of God that's declared, but you've got to get in this book yourself. I thank God for our pastor's wife's prayers, but you've got to pray yourself. You've got to build an altar yourself. no chariot of fire there would be no whirlwind that would appear they would not in this moment experience the euphoria of a rapture there would be no casting of a mantle no one is picking up and becoming a prophet Elisha is sick his face is moist and wet from the tears of the king most theologians believe that I don't have the time to go in why they believe this, but they believe that it has been over 40 years from the last miracle, the last moment in which God significantly has done something and the mention of Elisha's name is found in Scripture. They also believe that he's probably at least in his 70s, which allows us to know that as a young man, probably into the time of his mid-30s, the lion's share of what God would do and be recorded for our admonition happens. And for some 40 years, possibly four decades, God has not moved. God is not speaking. There's nothing significant that is happening in the prophet's life. And here he is at the end. And he's weary. And he's tired. It's been a long time since he felt the unction of God. It's been a long time since he boldly stood and squared his shoulders and said, Thus saith the Lord. But here in this weakened place, he calls to the king and he says, Take bow and arrows. And he took him bow and arrows. And he said unto the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. 
he tells the king to pick up the bow and arrows and come over here. And he comes over here. Uh, and this weak, frail man, uh, 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 again, he's just barely hanging on. And he lifts up his hands. Uh, and it's exhausting. It takes all of his strength. Uh, but he places his hands one more time on the king's hands. And he said unto him, uh, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Uh, then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And again, you, you're familiar with this story. Nothing new that you haven't heard before. Uh, but the scripture says that he then says, uh, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. Somehow I believe that a weak, frail, dying man who could barely utter a whisper somehow believed that as God began to move upon him uh, that his voice clarified uh, and he got some of that deepness within him uh, and these next words would not be as frail as the former words uh, when he says the arrow of the Lord's deliverance uh, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them. To a nation that has been seized and raped and pillaged again and again and again. This most certainly is welcomed news. And yet Elisha is not finished. Again he speaks. Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And some believe that he, he, he challenged him to shoot the rest of the arrows. Many believe that he simply smote him. We're just going to go with that that he smote the ground with those arrows. The scripture says that he smote thrice or three times and he stays. Joash does exactly as he is instructed. He does exactly what the prophet told him to do. He blessed him. He put his hands upon him. He said, shoot out the window, and he shot. Uh, he he, he pro prophesied. He proclaimed what God was going to do. Uh, and now he says, take the arrows and smite the ground, and the king does it. Uh, and I can just see Joash, uh, and no doubt even though he is not as spiritual man, maybe not a spiritual man at all, uh, but here he stands, and he's feeling the afterglow, uh, the, the reverberations of the spear and the anointing and the unction of God. Uh, and he realizes that this is not an insignificant moment, uh, but that God is doing something very, very supernatural here. Uh, and here he stands and he hears those words, smite the ground. Uh, and with great gusto, I imagine, as he smites it once, uh, and he smites it twice. Uh, and again, here's the king. He's not used to taking orders. He gives orders. Uh, he's not used to uh, doing what people say. He's used to watching others do what he says. Uh, and so I just kind of imagine a man like this of his stature uh, uh, feeling like he is very much uh, doing more than is sufficient. Uh, and he smites the third time time standing with great satisfaction in what he has done and he looks at that old preacher and his eyes betray what's in his heart there is not the look of affirmation that he sought or desired there's not the gaze of a happy man but it's anger and it's disappointment the Bible says that the man of God was wroth with him. You know what makes a man of God angry? It's not when you're late for church five minutes. It gets on his nerves, but that's not what makes him angry. It's not when you said he was coming over to the fellowship hall to paint Tuesday and he didn't show up. That, that's aggravating, but we'll get someone else to paint. It, 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 it makes him 
wrath. It upsets him when he sees you living so far below your privileges and of what God could do and what God would do if you would simply give yourself to the Lord. He's not upset at your mistakes. He's upset over the fact that you won't accept God's grace. You won't accept God's mercy. That you won't dust yourself off. The Old Testament prophet said rejoice not against me when I fall. That wasn't faith and failure. That was a good dose of reality. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall, but there's got to be something within you that says, when I fall, I'm going to rise. I'm going to get up. I'm going to dust myself off. I'm going to praise him again. I'm going to love him again. I'm going to be all that God will allow me to be. The man of God was wroth with him and said, thou should have smitten five or six times. Then haddest thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. And the very next verse says, And Elisha died and they buried him. I think it was T.F. Tenney that preached several years ago because of time about the angry old man that died. And here this prophet of God, used of God, anointed of God, his mentor had been raptured up with a great whirlwind and a chariot of horse and fire and he's going to die angry and he's going to die mad and he's going to die disappointed again because he realizes that Israel the nation of the people of God are going to fall short of what God would do in their life this old dying prophet he knew something about giving his all to God he knew something about selling out to God he knew something about a spiritual hunger that cannot be abated he knew something about trusting God for the miraculous Although he predated Christ by hundreds of years, I believe that Elisha understood the principle that Jesus taught in Luke 14 when he said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, his wife, his children, and brethren, sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. It was not a doctrine of hate. But it was this idea that my love for him must be so great that every other love pales in comparison. Nothing is more important than being right with him. As Brother Harold says, I want to drive this into your heart and break it off. Nothing else is more important than being right with God. Nothing else is more important than being right with God. You can live without the praises of men. You can live without the attention of the masses. But I've got to be right with him. The path has been chosen. This was the life that Elisha had lived. Through good times and bad times, he found God not only to be faithful, but he found God to be able. And so again, we read our text today in 2 Kings, the 13th chapter, and the 25th verse. And Jehoaz, the son of Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, took again out of the hand of Benadad, the son of Hazel, the cities, which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoaz, his father, by war. Three times did Joash beat him and recovered the cities of Israel. Three times did Joash beat him and he recovered the cities of Israel. Three times. Three victories. I want to give God praise. I want to give God thanks for everything that he's ever done. 
I thank God for every miracle that he's wrought. I thank God for every prayer that he's answered. I, I am blessed with the opportunity to pastor a church that's not quite as old as the church in Dothan, uh, but it's fastly approaching 50 years, and its story uh, is one of highs and lows. It, its story uh, is of faithful men that boldly declared and other men that cowered down to the pressures of this life. Uh, its story is, is being wall-to-wall filled with apostolic people. Uh, its story is falling down to just a handful, four or five individuals uh, that didn't even know what they believed which way was up and where they were going and yet through it all I am reminded that I serve a faithful God I am reminded that I serve an able God and I'm thankful that he's brought us back I'm thankful that he's restored us I'm thankful that he's refilling the house I'm thankful for everything that he's done but here in this story the scripture says they defeated the enemy three times it could have been more it should have been more it would have been more but a king's unbelief and his lack of understanding concerning the capabilities of his God prohibited both he and a nation from having complete victory it was three but it could have been more. Today, that's what I'm preaching to you. It was three, but it could have been more. I reminded us last night through the word of the Lord that our God stepped out of nothing and said, let it be, and it became as if it always had been. Again, I remind you that that was our God that did that. Walk through the pages of the scripture and you will find out that our God caused giants to fall, walled cities to fall, quail to fall, manna to fall, fire to fall, rain to fall. He still causes chains of addiction and bondage to fall. Our God God does these sort of things. It was our God that stopped the mouths of lions, set up kingdoms, took apart kingdoms. Our God caused the iron to swim, the donkey to talk, Aaron's rod to bud, the fig tree to wither. It was our God that caused the oil to multiply, the meal to multiply, the fish and the bread to multiply. This is our God. I'm not talking to you today about believing and receiving. I'm not talking to you about blabbing and grabbing. I'm not talking to you about decreeing and declaring it, but rather an expectation that is born out of a relationship and an understanding of who my God is. He's the healer, whether he ever heals me or not. He's a way maker, whether I stay in this pit or not. The very character of my God declares through all creation that he is Lord, he is God, he is holy, he is righteous he is perfect the psalmist said oh magnify the Lord with me let us exalt his name together you take that and there's all of these medical people so I need to be careful today you take a microscopic organism that the naked eye cannot perceive and put it on that slide and put it under the microscope some people say when you magnify it, you're making it bigger, but you're not changing it whatsoever. You're simply aligning yourself where you see it as it is. You're not making it larger. You're not pulling up any closer. You're simply putting yourself in a position where you see it as it really is. 
David wasn't saying, let's make God bigger. You can't make him any bigger. You can't make him any greater. You can't tear him down and you can't build him up. You can't shrink him and you can't expand him. He was simply saying, put yourself in a position where you see him as he really is. And when you see him as he is, you'll know that he is greater than sin, greater than sickness, greater than addiction, greater than bondage. And it makes it easy for me to magnify and exalt his name in this house. Last night, I humbly submitted to you this idea that God can do it again. That God can do it again. 54 years of history of watching God bless and watching God heal and watching God deliver and watching God wash and watching God save, uh, watching God restore. Uh, and many of us here today, we are a testament uh, to all these things that have passed, uh, that God did it again, uh, that he helped us again, that he strengthened us again, that he forgave us again, uh, that he heard our voice again. But this morning, for just a few short moments, uh, I want to remind you, that I must do it again. God will do it again, but I must do it again. We prayed in the past, I want to pray again. We worshiped in the past, I want to worship again. We've sung in the past, I want to sing again. God forbid that we would fall short of what he would do in our life. May we never ever forget that Elisha's servant had to go back and look for the rain again. That Naaman had to dip down in the water again. Chastised by his wife, David purposed in his heart, I will worship again. Samson made some mistakes, but his hair grew out, and he got his strength back again. The sorrowful Nisan woman asked. She was cast away by the disciples, but she came and asked again. They told Bartimaeus to be quiet, but he cried out again, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The disciples, they had to cast their net out into the water again. Joash struck the ground three times. But it could have been more. So God, help us as a church not to sell ourselves short. More importantly, uh, God, help us to not sell God out short. Uh, I don't know what he'll do in these last days, uh, but I know what he can do. Uh, I know what he's able to do. Uh, there's no one beyond his reach. Uh, he can bring back our lost loved ones. Uh, he can fill this house up. Uh, he can heal our bodies. Uh, he can set our minds free. Uh, let it be said that we'll worship again, pray again, praise again, seek his face. I'm almost finished today. I've been pastoring now for over 22 years. I know I barely look a day over 23. Forgive me. 22 years. My wife was 19. I was 24 years of age, and we were so innocent and so dumb. And we embarked upon this journey. Elder, you, you've had 54 years. Brother Harrelson, you've been in this church all your life and ministered over 30-some years. One of the most trying moments, I think, of pastoral ministry is when you see God working in people's lives and you hear people make statements like this. I know I shouldn't be as angry as I am, but you should see how angry I used to be. 
I know I shouldn't be jealous of sister so-and-so and what she's doing and how God's blessing, but you should have seen how jealous I used to be. Pastor, I'm not over this addiction. I'm still dabbling with these things that I know will destroy my soul. But it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. And every time I hear a statement, I realize that I am witnessing someone that is standing in a place where it was three, but it could have been more. God did not hang on a cross so you could kind of get over your anger. God did not hang on a cross so you could get partial victory. God did not bleed on a cross so you and I could have intermittent moments of joy and happiness. God help us to be the church he's called us to be. God help us to be the church he bled and died for us to be. God help us to quit feeling sorry for ourselves. My God can deliver you. My God can free you. My God will set you free. Let it not be said of Dothan that we had three when it could have been more, when God could have completely and totally delivered our soul. Would you stand with me today? Every eye closed. I want to pray for you right now. God, I ask humbly before you, Lord, I am nothing, God. I ask, Lord, that you would augment the frailty of my speech. And indeed, Lord, you would do that thing you do through the supernatural preaching of your word. And you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. I am preaching to a 54-year-old congregation that's been through the trials and been through the fire and been through the floods, been through the problems of this life. We celebrate, Lord, what you have done. We celebrate the prayers that you have answered, the lives that you've changed, the souls you've delivered. We celebrate every good and great thing you've done. Today, oh God, I ask that you would spark something within our souls to have and to possess complete and total victory over every battle that we face. Show us your glory. Even as your servant Moses cried out to you in the Old Testament after seeing and witnessing so much, he cried, Lord, show me your glory. Let your glory be manifest in this house today. Let your nail-scarred hand take hold of ours today. We we ask that you would restore again, that you would remove again, that you would forgive again. And we humbly stand before you to ask again. Forgive us this day of our lack of faith and faithfulness. Cleanse us, O God, of every ounce of doubt and despair. Let faith replace fear. Let strength replace weakness today. Let us be found faithful in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Every eye still closed. Everyone very prayerful. In the history of a church like this, there are spirits that want to attach themselves. There are spirits that want to put down deep roots. In generation after generation, wreck havoc this is not just about wrecking havoc in the pastor's life or wrecking havoc in, in the community of the congregation the body of Christ but wreck havoc in your homes in your lives in your minds and God has sent this simple preacher from the hills of Kentucky to remind you that you don't have to live with partial victory you don't have to live with partial deliverance but in a moment he can change 
Israel had to suffer with the consequences that it was three when it could have been. Let it not be said of this church that we settled for less than what God could, would do in our lives. Every eye closed. I wonder if there's anyone that would like to step out of your seat and make your way to an old-fashioned altar. Lift your hands, your heart, your voice and say, God, here I am. Finish the work in me. I hold nothing back. I hold nothing in reservation. I'm not looking for partial deliverance. I'm not looking for a little bit more of a mental healing or a physical touch. I want everything, God, that you have for me. Help us to believe you. Help us to trust you. Come on, would you lift your voice right now? Could we call on his name right now?